Okay. Well, welcome everybody uh, to the special Fest for Beetle fans edition of Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad. So glad you could be all with us for uh, for this. Of course, this will eventually uh, be going online on our channel, uh, so uh, everybody uh, can enjoy it uh, as well online. And that's, uh, a, that's a release I will never sign. That's, oh, well, we'll, we'll negotiate later, Ken. And, <laughs> well, last year we had such fun uh, doing this uh, panel that we decided, let's do it again. And uh, so I'm really excited to introduce three very good friends of mine uh, and distinguished authors and scholars indeed. First, he pretty much needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, he is uh, a leading uh, scholar. He, uh, the author of the upcoming book, Living the Beatles Legend, the untold story of Mal Evans that I think we're all pretty excited about, as well as many, many other works, Ken Walmart. Um, next is uh, another uh, very special expert uh, who has taught us all uh, a, about a very important story about uh, the Beatles in Canada, uh, a story that I think many of us uh, really didn't know very much about, and it is a fascinating story. Uh, the author of The Beatles in Canada, The Origins of Beatlemania, Piers Hemmingson. And last but definitely not least, uh, he is the author of pretty much, I would say, the Bible of uh, the Beatles' North American tours. If you don't have this, uh, this two-volume work, you've got to get it. Uh, some fun tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America, the historic tours of 1964 through 66, Chuck Gunderson. And may, may we introduce you, Kid O'Toole. Oh, okay. You are far more than the queen of all Beatles media. You are also a person who um, is, uh, uh, like other folks, like Susan Radish or Ryan, are very instrumental uh, in bringing folks together uh, on behalf of Beatles scholarship and thinking deeply about this band and other bands. And of course, you are also the author of two Just books and the editor of another. So, Kid O'Toole. Thank you so much. And I uh, just want to take a moment. Al Sussman was supposed to be part of this panel, and uh, we want to send our best wishes to him for speedy recovery. We really miss him, and uh, but I know he'll be back next year, and uh, we are all thinking of him. So I uh, just want to send out our best wishes. Uh, so uh, we are going to be playing uh, around like we did last year of a game that we love on Talk More Talk, which is called Wreck Our Brains. Now, for those of you who uh, may not be familiar with this game, uh, it's uh, something that uh, is just for fun, uh, which is that we ask each other, and uh, we will also be inviting you to ask us questions, um, anything about the Beatles or solo years, we're expanding it, uh, even though we mainly talk about the solo years on our show, 
And uh, they're not trivia questions. These are strictly opinion questions, so it makes it a little more fun for discussion. Um, you know, it can be something like, you know, uh, what's your favorite version of maybe a maze? Do you like the live version or the studio version? You know, something like that. There are no right wrong answers here. Or the one from Glee, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so we just have a lot of fun with this. And so our panelists have brought questions. Um, and, uh, and then, as I said, uh, and I also have questions from my co-hosts, who unfortunately uh, could not be here uh, today. So they have brought questions for you guys as well. Um, and then, as I said, uh, if we have time, we will invite you guys to ask. Um, so, uh, why don't we start, I asked you guys uh, to bring in some uh, questions uh, for the panel, so why don't we start, I've been dying to find out what questions you have for the panel, so uh, Chuck, why don't we start with you? So, sorry to startle you. <laughs> you just looked wearing to go. So you did look eager. That was your mistake. Yeah, you, you looked eager. So and I don't need a microphone. I can just talk. Oh no no, we've got we've got microphones. Oh, nope. there are. And and yeah, it's not just one microphone this year. I think we were, but there we go. Yeah. Okay, we're passing microphones. So, these questions can they be hypothetical? You, they sure Ooh, can. I love it. Okay. No, no so, all of us have loved the uh, introdu uh, introduction of Peter Jackson into the Beatles world, what he's done. Okay. You're hypothetical. If Peter Jackson could get his hands on some other things, what would we be interested in? I mean, it could be like uh, more stuff from, uh, from Get Back, more... Uh, Unseen footage from that, the Star Club tapes, could he like clean those up and just have this wonderful plethora of Star Club music? Um, if he found something more in anthology, he cleaned up anthology and added more scenes, would we like that? Would we like Paul McCartney's shower routine? Anything that he could find and clean up, would we like it? He uses a lupa, right? <laughs> yes, and it's yellow. <laughs> the yellow loofah. So, panelists, <laughs> what would you like to have Peter Jackson do for you? <laughs> I guess I'm going next. Yep. <laughs> um, so, Peter Jackson, I mean, who didn't love the rooftop, right? Yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, I walked out of Let It Be in 1970 because I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. I didn't even know there was a rooftop. I finally got to see it on the big screen. That kind did you know, magic for the rooftop. What could he have done? I, I think, uh, uh, I don't know, there's two things you can do. You can clean up stuff that, that didn't sound so good, or you could do something with with uh, video. And I think the, the, uh, the big miss was uh, the Eight Days a Week film. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to Chuck's book. All, all of the touring stuff, there's great sources of, of color video and with the technology you know if we got uh, really good audio with that video I think maybe that would I think so many people love get back and so many people didn't know what what happened during January of 1969 I think they could do a really good job with with the touring stuff mm -hmm. so that would be my vote 
Mine would be, uh, would involve uh, the, the isolations we now have thanks to the rock band uh, enterprise. You know, those have been invaluable to me as a professor um, and as a listener, of course, extremely revelatory to, to be able to, to hear behind the scenes, if you will. Um, I, I was privileged to be in the audience when, when Giles Martin unveiled the new Revolver uh, remix, and he played a number of um, isolations that weren't available on the eventual deluxe edition. And they were fascinating. I mean, he took Taxman and reduced it down to uh, a single hi-hat. You know, he, he was able to isolate and disaggregate the sound to that level, and of course we immediately asked him afterwards, how'd you do that? <laughs> and he said it was the, the Wizards uh, down in, uh, in New Zealand, and Peter Jackson's team in particular. Um, I would like, uh, I, I think the next frontier for all of us is to have all of the music uh, disaggregated in such a way so that we can continue to understand it and appreciate it for what it is. And those component parts are just so revelatory. They're magnificent, you know. In fact, a lot of the songs, when you, when you remove those parts and you disaggregate them, you hear entirely new songs. There are different songs alive at the heart of, say, Penny Lane or Happiness is a Warm Gun when you remove several parts of them. I think we need it all, and uh, his team knows how to do that. Um, it's far more interesting than the silliness of, you know, having Paul McCartney's voice AI'd onto How Do You Sleep, because ha-ha, <laughs> it was about Paul. You know, I think that's mostly just, I'll stay with the word, silliness. I'm interested in, in that kind of full disaggregation. That would be just dynamite for me, you know, and he clearly has the technology. His team has developed it. Let's go. Yeah, um, for me, you already mentioned it, Chuck, the Star Club tapes. Mm. I would love that. In fact, uh, one year when um, you know we had that wonderful uh, uh, session in New York where uh, Peter Jackson and, and Michael Lindsay Hogg uh, had that wonderful uh, Zoom conversation, ballroom, um, yeah, Peter Jackson mentioned that, uh, that he would love to work the Star Club tapes and even uh, said in the audience, hey, if any of you have any ideas as to what you'd like me to work on. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the whole room just went silent, like, are, are, are you serious? Are you really asking us this? Um, yeah, I, I would love to have those cleaned up and uh, and hear them in, in, in pristine or as pristine as possible uh, quality. So that, that, that would be something. And when they do it, mm -hmm. and you need to insist on this kitten, Yep. Uh, they need to have a making of the Star Club. Yes. Because the guy who has custody of those tapes and owns the rights is a is a Liverpudlian named Mal Jefferson. And if you guys ever meet Mal in your travels, he is a trip. <laughs> and uh, he has learned. Uh, he has a basically learned earned a doctorate in copyright law because of course his entire ownership of this has been skirting the Beatles, sure. you know, and and uh, because Ted King size Taylor is no longer part of the equation for a case of beer uh, or whatever it was that they, they were paid. Um, and uh, watching Peter Jackson tangle with Al Jefferson would really be something. <laughs> that would be something. That's a, yeah, a very, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Could, could it be a trilogy? Could it be a trilogy? It could be, yeah. The yeah. two towers of Mal Jefferson versus. There you go. All right, very good question, Chuck. Thank you. Uh, Piers. Okay, I get to ask a question. Um, I thought about this. Um, 
and, and I, I go back to Apple, we just talked about Apple, and this whole company that was created in sort of 1967, 1968, uh, was gonna be a boutique, was gonna be films, was gonna be electric or electronic uh, media. Um, the energy they put into Apple, you know, they were producing other people like the modern jazz quartet, if at all they produced them, uh, Mary Hopkin, Billy Preston, and others, Jackie Lomax. What if they had not, uh, hypothetically, done all this other stuff? Um, would we have seen maybe some earlier solo albums from Paul and George? We know that John and Yoko did their fantastic uh, <laughs> finished music. Uh, Just album. riddled with hit songs. Yeah, yes. songs. <laughs> Especially the so Yeah. You know, what would they have done? You know, obviously Paul wouldn't have done a family way. He would have done something a little bit, you know, more like McCartney that both this this uh, album here mm -hmm. would love it. Um, so that's my question and I'll try to pass it to Chuck. Yeah. Oh, sure. oh, yeah. Put him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And it has nothing to do with Canada. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> I need to put the Canadian flag over me while no, I'm no, answering yeah. the question. Okay. Yeah, don't smoke us out here. Yeah. Yes, please. Um, that's a great question um, because I guess I would prequel that question with what if Brian Epstein didn't die? Uh, then we still have NEMS and what would they be doing and what would Brian allow? And, you know, and I think they respected Brian and, and all of that. So that uh, obviously happened, and so yes, the formation of Apple, and um, I wish they would have just stayed in the music business and not gone and ventured into clothing, although I do like the clothing. If there was something on Savile Row right now, I might go pop in there and buy some, some clothing. Um, in the films and, and all of that, the experimental stuff, I think I just really stay on music and what you know and finding these kind of nuggets of people, the James Taylors of the world, where you really had time to kind of really focus on that. And they could have really possibly, uh, we could have some just amazing talent or albums. I mean, think of the people they might have just passed that we never even know of that might have just spawned into these amazing talents because they did have that ear for that. Um, so I guess I, my hypothetical would be, I wish they would have just stayed in strictly in the music business. I've got to totally agree with you on that. Um, not just because of the ton of wisdom that I know you have over there, <laughs> but it, right, but no, but they, Right, they spent an enormous amount of energy and personal capital on that project. Uh, and, it, and they did that after John Lennon had said uh, during yeah, the making of Magical Mystery Tour, you know, we're not directors. <laughs> we, we, you know, what, we're great at music, but that doesn't mean that it's portable, that you can take that talent. And this is where human beings typically, we typically make some of our best mistakes in this area, right? We think that I'm, I'm great over here in, in this sphere, Surely it's portable, right? Surely I can buy Twitter. Oh, sorry. <laughs> See, that, that was too easy. But right, right. You, you begin to believe that what you do, what you're doing, is so portable that your talents will see you through, 
And Apple is such a great example of that not being true. And the tremendous cost that it created interpersonally with Alan Klein coming into the fold to save things. I mean, that's, you know, that's like inviting the mafia in. Or the Hell's Angels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right? They did uh, come in at one well, point. They did, right. It's, it's save, the, save the turkey leg. That's right. Do not lose the turkey leg. Um, <laughs> such good advice. So I, 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 I do think that that's, it's incredibly pivotal, uh, the mistakes that, that come from that. You know, uh, what would have happened? Well, they, they, might have, uh, they might have not had so much acrimony. You know, they, once they waded into those, those waters where they didn't have a working knowledge, they were extremely vulnerable. Um, and, and spent decades, right, until 1989, unraveling some of the disasters that were wrought in 1968-69. Um, it's, uh, it's incredible. Um, that's, a, that's a great one, Piers. Going back to the JFK press conference, you know, February 7th, 1964, when they're asked, uh, you know, why do you think you're, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but why do, they, why do you think your music's so good? And John said, I don't know really, if we knew we'd all become managers and, yes. you know, <laughs> do it, so. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it does seem like, uh, I, I agree with you that I think if they had focused more on, on what they know and, and what they knew, which was establishing, you know, uh, working on the music part of it, um, I, I think they, there would have been, uh, they would have been able to develop talent a lot more. I mean, I think, as you kind of pointed out, James Taylor is a, is a great example of that. Um, yeah, and Badfinger, uh, of course. Um, you know, that, I mean, they certainly did have hits, uh, obviously, but I think they could have been even bigger uh, than, than they were. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think definitely, uh, although, as you said, Chuck, the clothes were cool. Um, but, uh, but still, as, as we know, I mean, they, they just, you know, didn't know how to run a business. I mean, that's a completely different skill than uh, the being you know creative musically and, and so forth so yeah that's a that's a great question Piers. i would throw in you mentioned brian epstein um chuck and the loss of brian you know obviously we know historically that he was at a loss himself during some of those last months and may have not been functioning in the in the same way he was in 63 and 64 but you know when you look at the longevity of their business interests Brian knew how to, uh, if he didn't have the knowledge himself, he knew that you hire the best people. So when he would consult on Beatles business matters, he went to some of the best economists in London. You know, these were his boys, and he did not suffer for second best or for a thug from New York City. <laughs> um, he was very careful to get the best possible advice. And while he had his own blunders, as we all know, um, you know, for example, uh, I don't know that he would have ever let a person like Mal Evans off the reservation to use a tacky phrase, right? I mean, that's, you want to make sure that all of the folks who've worked for you have been privileged to hear and see things, uh, have agreements, um, that they have pension plans, right? You know, and, and Neil and Mal spent much of the early 70s rolling around in trouble. You know, particularly Neil Aspinall, who had serious substance abuse issues. 
because he was untethered. And uh, I think Brian would have made a big difference in those sorts of ways too. Maybe even uh, helping to ameliorate some of the problems between Paul versus the rest of the Beatles. You know, and so those, those kinds of decisions, uh, there are a lot of lessons for us in there, quite frankly, um, in our own lives about getting the best possible advice and following it, yes. right? You know, don't just consult with lawyers when something's on the line. Do what they say, <laughs> you know, or get a second opinion or a third opinion. Um, but good lessons. Good one, Piers. Absolutely. I guess we're out of time. No, this no, is fun. no. Oh, no. Ken, uh, how about you? Do you have a, a question? I do. And, and you know, we, we have been privileged uh, for these last couple of decades to see some incredible projects come our way. Um, I have issues with the docuseries uh, and over historical veracity and those sorts of things, but I'm sure glad I have it. <coughs> you know, to be able to show in class and to use the video and the audio. Um, what is the next frontier in Beatles studies? Um, you know, this is, this will be occurring even after our August lives are over. You know, what, are, what is the next frontier? Where are the places we'll go next? What are the stories that haven't been adequately told? I still feel like Get Back has not been adequately told, quite frankly, in, in our previous uh, session. Harris, Aaron Weber made a good case for that. But any thoughts on that? What is the, what's the next frontier? Or, or where is, what are the frontiers where we still need to do all the work? Okay. Chuck just totally avoided yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, um, next frontiers. I think the cultural uh, history of countries like Japan, Italy, uh, Germany, uh, and how the Beatles really kind of, you know, they, they sort of stepped in and then stepped out, but they kept going, didn't they? I mean, there's, there's that aspect. Cultural studies would, would be one area, I, and I'm not a professor like you are. I think something I would like to understand more is, you know, how did things change in France? You know, you had the the revolution in 68. Uh, what happened in other places? You know, we know what happened in Manila. You know, we know what happened in a little bit about Australia. Australia had these uh, great Beatles concerts. And what lasted? of thousands of people yeah, coming out. Yeah, and lasting, what if the lasting, you know? So is there a, a, a Chuck Anderson Some Fun Tonight Part Two? Uh, covering all these other countries. <laughs> and I didn't want to avoid the question. I was being I was being courteous. It was Pierce Turk. Um Susan's husband brought up a, I went to the historians panel and I really liked it. Um, Thank you. And he brought up a very interesting subject or concept that I thought was interesting and that is, is you know, we always talk about, oh, what's your favorite album, or, you know, that type of, your single, or your B-side, or whatever. And I'm looking at these young guys sitting on the front of the road, <laughs> and even your children go, what the hell was an album? That, like, I don't even that, know what you're that. talking about. And uh, it's much like you guys not understanding phones that had to be attached to walls, you know? You just carried around your pocket. Wait, you what are you these... talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know we're up here, right? Yes. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, with a chord. But I kind of like this concept of session periods. Yeah. Meaning, when they came in, when they had a dedicated block of time to do an album. Yeah. Let's talk about the session and all the music they were doing in that session. So, yeah, Penny Lane and Strawberry Field didn't make it on the Sgt. Pepper, but it was in that session, yes. right? I'd like it more of like periods of time. Um, let's talk about what they were doing while they were filming Hard Day's Night and what was going on in their lives. Um, kind of categorizing things instead of like, yeah, uh, Rubber Soul, let's talk about it. And what do you think the track listing should have been? Or what, what do they leave on or off? That type of thing. And I also like Pierce's uh, comment about the kind of cultural, societal impact of the Beatles. I mean, we know, like, already, like, you know, them bringing the East to the West. And, I mean, how many people were really involved in yoga before the Beatles kind of got involved? And then after that, or, you know, um, consciousness and things like that, you know, it just wasn't really in the nomenclature of society. And the Beatles do, and all of a sudden, you know, there's stuff springing up all over. Um, so I would like to see a kind of a study on those shifts of um, kind of a cultural, societal, economic, um, people that didn't have access to the Beatles, yeah. how did they find it, what changed, could they force change in their respective countries because of what they were hearing, seeing, hearing underground, that type of thing. So that'd be kind of my, my take on it. Ken? I'm going to jump in here. Sure. The, the only uh, thing I would add uh, to Ken's question is um, the study of technology. You know, like some of us way back in the dark ages decided to get Abbey Road on an eight-track tape instead right. of an album. Big mistake. Yeah. And now, you know, there's different technologies. Yeah. And we're, we're talking about AI and we're talking about um, isolating one instrument or one vocal technology, how has that changed everybody's appreciation of the experience of Beatles music? And I know everybody's thinking this, so I'll ask it. So why did you buy the eight tracks? So you're at, you're at the record store, and you see this beautiful LP, right? It's like a portrait. It's got that great, great photograph on the front, and you're like, I want to get this small, crappy version <laughs> what happened there? What do you think it was, Pierce? What, what went into that thinking? You're going to have to buy my new book. <laughs> Coming out in February. The Decisions of Pierce. <laughs> exactly. um, the 8-track tape was given to me as a gift at, at around Christmas 69. And Did you have a player in your car? Okay, this, I'm going to blow the story, but um, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a reel-to-reel -reel player, one of those little Craig ones with a T-bar like you saw in Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. I unthreaded from my 8-track cartridge and put it on a 3-inch reel, <laughs> played it back through, and I could hear nothing but four things at the same time. <laughs> wow. Uh, Mind-blowing. You know, you heard Octopus's Garden and... Here comes the sun, all at the same time. So that must it, have been trippy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have follow-ups to this later. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in, yeah, I'm very intrigued. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there there's so many uh, areas. I mean, I I think you know one. Uh, really quickly developing uh, area of study, and, and this isn't just a cheap plug. Uh, Ken and I co-edited a uh, volume together uh, about fandoms, uh, Beatles and fandom, and uh, and I was talking about this uh, earlier with, with someone today who uh, is uh, also studying uh, about, you know, Beatles and fanzines. And, uh, you know, and I think that's been a, a rapidly growing uh, area of, of study uh, in the Beatles is, is fandom from all different generations, yes. uh, first generation uh, and, you know, all the way. And I was on a panel uh, just earlier today that Susan uh, moderated about how different generations have experienced uh, the Beatles from first generation to Gen X to, you know, to uh, today's. And I think there's, uh, that is going to be an ever-growing um, area of research uh, that is just going to keep uh, keep going. So, uh, so very uh, very interesting question, uh, Ken. Uh, speaking of Ken, um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about mention another Ken, which is Ken Michaels. Uh, there we go. Yep, one of the uh, co-hosts, my co-hosts of Talk More Talk. Um, who sent in a question for you guys? So, uh, he actually sent in a few. I'm going to mention one here, which I thought was a very interesting one. What period when the Beatles were together do you find the most fascinating and why? So, Ken. Is it Chuck first, though? Oh, oh Chuck. <laughs> you're playing like golf now. Yeah. <laughs> so, year or period? Year? Period. I, I, without a doubt, it's the 64, 65 period when so much is going on. I mean, they're touring, they're uh, doing movies, they're doing interviews, they're worldwide phenomenon people, they're writing songs that we're still listening to today. Um, how they even have time to do that is beyond me. I mean, we've all been busy in our lives, right? Raising kids, working, all that kind of stuff. Oh my gosh, I'm so busy, I can't do anything. And they're doing this stuff that's like literally changing the world. They're having, we're having, we're sitting here at the Fest for Beatles fans almost 60 years later talking about this. And that period of time and what they produced is magical to me. So that's my period. Okay, I'll segue into uh, uh, the period I really like is is kind of uh, rubber sole through to revolt. Um, late '65, you get into 1966. They just finished rubber sole. They get a break. They get a little holiday, and it's what they do with their time. And uh, John Lennon does basically nothing uh, with his time. Paul does something with his time. But I think that little break, that little time where they, they, they have their pictures taken in Butcher Smogs and they do interviews with a lot of different magazines, one of which ends up in Datebook mm. uh, in the States. Um, they, were, they were kind of bored, I think. 
maybe they've just been through so much, they've just gone through Chuck's favorite period, and they thought, well, what are we going to do for Chuck now? And maybe, uh, We've all had that moment. <laughs> but they, they, they came up with just great single after great single. And uh, Day Tripper, Paperback Writer, uh, Nowhere Man, um, Yellow Submarine, all it, For me, that was like a real golden period. They went on and did better things after that. But I think as a fan at the time, I thought, how can you kind of keep up with what they're doing? You know, for me, it's the White Album. Um, <clears throat> I think that it's such an incredible, ambitious record. If you were looking for something that you would do when you have their level of fame um, and privilege and opportunity, I don't know how you make that record. I, I think it's, it's, it's endlessly fascinating to me that that's the statement that you put out there. Um, it is maybe their most brash moment, right? They're gonna spend a thousand hours making this thing. It won't have a single, <laughs> and they're going to unleash it on the world. I, I'm really fascinated by the period, but even more particularly, the idea that at the apex of what fame is in the 20th century, and perhaps ever, they go to India. I mean, who does that, right? who is able with all of the forces that you both have described working on them some of which are chemical right uh or sociological or just sheer life getting in the way they go to india right to study i think that's just incredibly remarkable um and it, it's just one of those things that sets them apart it, it blows my mind still and I, I love talking about that with our students to say who does that you know and and hopefully to prompt them to imagine how they might make similar choices that allow them to grow as people and as thinkers. You know, Paul, right, coming in, and I think you were alluding to this before, what did Paul do with his time? He said something like, I vaguely mind other people knowing more than I do, is, I is the quotation. Quote. <laughs> it's a great line. He goes to literary London, and he doesn't just kick back on some estate. He lives in the heart of it, right? He he begins to become a reader, you know, I know he was inspired by all of those incredible songs, you know, by his grade school teachers when he was reading Hamlet, but um, he really does go and engage the world, he engages the art world, it's really quite something. Um, I think it's amazing, you know, a lot of people would say, I'm just too damn tired. I've been parading around the world to massive crowds, I'm taking a year off, and yet they don't do that. Excellent question. Um, so uh, we only have a couple more minutes, so I just want to uh, throw it out to the audience. Do you have questions uh, for us? Uh, can be about solo um, or group. Yes. Yeah, this is kind of a simple one, so it doesn't take that long to like answer it or whatever. But um, what's your favorite Beatle set list? Like 1964 U.S. Depends. Like, what's your favorite songs that they play in a live show? Shark. Well, <laughs> super easy for me. It would be a, which we have an example of, a 1960 set list from the ballroom days in Liverpool, where it's just all the rock and roll standards that they loved. That would be me. Okay, so set list, I would go with, um, uh, Toronto, August 
1765, two days after Shea Stadium. So they have a day off in between. They are totally pumped from the reaction they got at Shea Stadium. And they come into a hockey arena. It's 100 degrees Fahrenheit inside that hockey arena because they turned the heat on so they can sell more soft drinks. <laughs> and, and, in August. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> only in Canada, they say. Um, but they, they uh, as, as Chuck just alluded to, they, they've done everything. They've performed in caverns and, you know, Hamburg and all these really bad places. Uh, so they, they put up with a lot of stuff. And they put up with this. They didn't complain. You hear them on, on, on a recording in Toronto. He's, and Paul said to John, it's hot. There's a word in between hot and it's. And it was really hot. But they did the whole set. And they were excellent, in my opinion, because they, they just finished the Shea Stadium and they were really happy. You, it comes out in their music. So that would be my set list. So I, I would go with, uh, this is maybe too specific, but, um, and so many people go to the Sullivan Show, but I love the fact that in this debut performance, they're going to do, and these are the coolest guys on earth, right? 73 million people are watching them, and they do till there was no, yeah. they don't care that it's corny. Who cares? We like playing. We're playing it. it it really was maybe the brightest symbol of what was going to come. You know, that in that moment when they could have played one more of those, those great rockin' hits of theirs, instead, yeah, they go right, it's gonna be eclectic, thank you, and it's also, they're gonna go right into, I could be afraid of music hall or music calls. Mm -hmm. I just love that moment. Absolutely. Uh, Tony. So, Yeltsin is my favorite of the Beatles movies. And it's unfortunate, I think, that they did not perform as themselves in that movie because they got tired of filmmaking with the help film. What do you think would need to happen for them to have wanted to take more of a part in that movie and play themselves? Okay, the question is uh, that the Beatles didn't take part, uh, didn't uh, you know, really take part in Yellow Submarine except, of course, that last little part. What would it have taken for them to have uh, taken more of a role uh, in appearing and, and taking part in Yellow Submarine, the movie. Well, you know, they, uh, I, can, I can touch that real quick, and, and I'd love to hear what our colleagues say here, but they misjudged that thing from the start. You know, they saw it as a throwaway uh, opportunity for songs that to them were less than B-sides, right? I mean, they were treating it badly. It was an idea of Brian's. They're fulfilling a contract. Um, you know, uh, George Martin was very engaged in it, so that may not have helped at times. He was in love with it. It would be his biggest payday uh, with the Beatles, would be the, the soundtrack album. He was infuriated with the idea that they might just put it out as an EP and leave off his soundtrack material. He, uh, he actually threw a bit of a tantrum. He said, nope, we're going long player on this. But um, I think the thing that needed to happen was for them to see it um, and, and, and they, they all, in their own way, confessed later to having loved what they saw and loved being in that little cameo at the end. You know, if only we could play that one in reverse. Five am short. Two. I love this politeness. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Canadian. <laughs> Two words, more drugs. 
No. Wow, that's yeah. to the point. Okay, All so right. I, I'm going to add a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the Beatles had this cartoon show, to answer your question, in North America, in I think started in 65. I watched it Saturday mornings, and it was another way to hear Beatles music. If you didn't have all their records, you know, you'd hear records like Dizzy Miss Lizzy, but you had to watch the cartoon. They, I think the Beatles were a little bit embarrassed by the cartoon show, even though, looking back, I think it was, it was a clever move, but the same people that were involved with that cheesy cartoon show were involved with, uh, is it King Features? King Features, yeah. 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 Um, so I think that might have been the reason why they didn't want to get involved because it, they they probably seen this these weird cartoon you know, short things they've done in, in like the two years before. Uh, that would be my answer. Is that maybe they just saw that and thought oh, we can't get involved with this. It's ironic that they weren't involved because then John took credit for a lot of the ideas in the movie. Well, it's ironic that they didn't take. Uh, take part in it because John afterward took credit for a lot of ideas in the film. All right, well, I think we are just about out of time. Um, and uh, before you go, uh, please take a button. Uh, these are fifth anniversary uh, commemorative uh, buttons. We're celebrating our fifth anniversary for Talk More Talk. Uh, I want to thank our distinguished panelist, Ken Womack, who is also a co-founder of Talk More Talk. Here's Hermanson and Chuck Jefferson. Thank you so much for being part of our live Talk More Talk. Please stick around for something about the Beatles. And uh, at 5.45 is uh, When They Was Fab, also with Ken Womack and Ed Chen. We're going to be talking about the Red and Blue albums. So please come on back.